When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to my good, bad brain. I'm a normal person, so I'm insane. I've got depression and ADHD, but I'm doing better since I medicated me. I'm still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is. But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is beautiful. Hello. Everybody, hi. Uh, this is my good bad brain. This is going to be uh, episode two of our third season, which means it's the Dr. Nick and I talking stuff. Um, before we get into that, though, and it's a good episode today. I we talked about uh, what do people ask questions about? Well, I had questions about helping other people when they're deep in you know, bad mental states, including some stuff about suicide risk assessment based on some experiences I had pre-recently. People ask questions about codependency. People, it's good. It's, there's a lot of good, uh, it's just good, man. It's, I've been really enjoying this. I think the whole goal for me um, in asking Nick to be part of it, and I think his goal in saying yes, is just trying to make these resources, you know, mental health professionals, people who have actual knowledge and, 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 the what do you call it the bona fides you know making that available freely and publicly to whoever is out there that might have questions um might have you know because obviously we can't be like teledocs nobody wants nobody's trying to do that we're not claiming to do that but you know when we all talk about mental health awareness and the resources being so hard to get and just our whole society i i wanted to do this and i've really been delighted uh the last few weeks of of figuring out this live stream thing Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. If you can make it to be there live, uh, you can send questions in ahead of time to mygoodbadbrain at gmail.com or you can just go to mixer.com slash mygoodbadbrain at 10 a.m. Pacific on Sunday mornings and, um, you know, ask questions in the chat and just hang out. I'll keep posting them. I'll do them like this. They become the episode for the week. But, you know, it's nice to have people live. It's fun. And uh, and if you are out there and you are wondering, you have questions, you wish you had somebody to ask more specifically, talk to you who knows what they're talking about, man, Nick Barr is amazing. Dr. Nick, an active professor, worked for a long time as a social worker, specifying in, in trauma work. He's amazing. So, you know, come by. Um, I hope you're doing okay. 
as you quarantine and as this strange anxiety grows of this differently shaped world that we've got going on uh, here at home, it's me and it's Grammy and it's Allie. And we've pretty much self-quarantined. I mean, we have. We went to the grocery store last night um, because we had to stock up and do some things. Uh, and, you know, because we don't know how long we're going to be in here. And we'd already gone, but we were just like, I think we're going to need a little bit more. <laughs> and uh, it, it, I mean, when we got home, we literally wiped Lysol wipes over everything with plastic gloves, with like latex gloves on. You know, we're, we're going nuts. And uh, at the grocery stores, everybody's stocking up and the, this, you know, it's very tense. It's very anxious out there. It's, it just feels weird. It feels like everyone's thrumming with a little bit of a different energy. You can feel it washing into you, everybody's anxiety because our, our world, the shape of our world, the foundation of like our society and our civilization is really getting a little shake here. And I think that's probably rather destabilizing for a lot of people. I know it is uh, for, for me. And, uh, I'm going to get into some of the material stuff about that soon. We talk a little bit in the live stream today about it, but you know, I'm just doing my little, little mini brain breather here, whatever. And, uh, I'll tell you the story. I got, it's not even that much of a story, but there's this guy working at the the grocery store. And I, I don't know, I've been doing my best. Anybody who's out there being an employee, doing those important fucking services and still has a place to go work. Thank you. Fucking thank you. Hardcore people that are stocking the shelves. I'm sure you're dealing with maniacs and like people being so stressed out and shitty to people as they don't know what to do with their anxiety over the whole situation. And you're just there doing the Lord's work, man. You're, I know you're in a risky situation. I hope you're all washing your hands a lot, keeping that six feet distance from each other. Um, but it's amazing. And he was weirdly like emotional. He was like, yeah, we're just trying. He seemed like he had this kind of like emotion in his eyes that you just like, Damn, I didn't even notice it. Allie, Allie noticed it and brought up later that and I was like, yeah, you're right. He, he was just like, we're trying Tuesday. We get more stuff in if you want, you know, people really want people to be okay, you know, and that's beautiful. That's I just keep being reminded of uh, the disasterologist again. When things get bad, people get more pro-social. Actually, you you see all these movies of them, you know. And, and then that's the stuff that goes viral, right? People fighting over toilet paper or whatever. But in reality, and we've been talking to our neighbors, checking in on everybody, making sure everybody's okay and vice versa. And it's lovely. I mean, it's like people want to help each other when things get tough. And I think things are going to get tougher. And I don't even think it's going to be like some crazy death tolls or anything like that. It's going to be this increased isolation. And more importantly, people who can't work, people who can't get paychecks, uh, you know, like, I don't know. Work's been light for me for a while, um, but I work from home. So it doesn't change that much. But even I know uh, things are going to dry up. You know, I know that like the video things that I'm editing for little corporate jobs and stuff like that, those are going to totally evaporate. Like there's there's not going to be a priority to do that stuff. I know that any place I do in-person entertainment stuff, acting or hosting, that's not going to happen for a while. All my classes, jujitsu and comedy and all the things I'm doing, those are all getting canceled or turning into remote things. And people who are out there working in service industries, gig economy, any anything like that, I know you're all losing your work, losing your jobs. And I, I, it's going to be really stressful to see what happens with, um, you know, when the first of the month comes, we got to pay rent. And it sounds like the government's doing some rumblings about helping that out, universal basic income and 
whatnot, things like that. But it's very stressful and it's very crazy and uh, feeling, you know, it's very unsure. And I just want to say a few things about that. I guess one, just remember the way you care about other people and worry about them. Other people feel that way about you too. And like, we will come together through this. If we prioritize solidarity, if we prioritize keeping each other okay, keeping each other in each other's thoughts, knowing well-being of a society depends on all of us doing our part. I mean, that's going to come through. That's going to be the priority. That's We're going to be good. And I think maybe a positive outcome of this is like people will see how crazy our current system is. I think a lot of people who have mental health issues in my experience, seem to see it more clearly that there's something wrong with the shape of our society and our world. This constant rat race that we have to do every fucking month, every every day, just to make enough money to be worth something to be alive. You know, I saw like, you know, the governor of uh, California. He's announced the other day that like one of the things they're going to do is take over motels and hotels to house a bunch of the unhoused people in LA, hundred eighty thousand people or something like that, and it's like. Yeah, that's fucking amazing. You you wonder why they couldn't just do it before. <laughs> like, why does it take this virus? And I think that's become true about everything. It's like, hey, when there's not rent uh, money that we can pay, when the stock market doesn't exist, whatever, there's still a house, you know, that just is there to be lived in. There's still, you know, food and medicine and things like that. Like things still grow. The earth still works. And I don't know. Sometimes I feel crazy and I remind myself like the world's a little crazy. Like maybe your feelings that something's just off kilter in general and doesn't make sense with the structure of things. And it's hard for you to comprehend the lack of fairness or care or justice in the world, whatever. Like maybe you're not crazy to feel that way. I, I don't think we are. Um, and hopefully a silver lining of this is we'll see how good we can be to each other, how much better, how much more caring in material ways. Uh, for each other and, um, you know, staying connected, even though we're apart. I mean, technology has never been more useful or essential, I think, to preventing us from (laughs) going stir crazy. So uh, on that note, I would say uh, stay in touch with people, check in with them a lot, just through FaceTime, just online stuff, you know, Um, check out the live stream with us on Sundays. Uh, speaking of live streaming, I've started doing on my Instagram, these, uh, I call it quarantine calisthenics every day at noon. I'm doing a workout on Instagram live. Uh, the whole thing takes no more than 40 minutes, probably 30 minutes of actual working out. So, you know, you get a good sweat out of it. I- I've been loving it because I've been feeling really unmotivated, really not doing my self care and having to show up at noon to do it, make myself do it. Do it with a little bit of positivity, yelling at everybody, imaginary through the screen to do it along with me and keep it up and keep pushing. It's great. It's making me feel fucking good. Like it's it's lifting my spirits and, uh, you know, it's good for your body, good for your brain. So if you feel like doing that, come on by Instagram, my mind, just Jarrett underscore sleeper. And uh, I'll go live every day at noon. And then I think that video stays up for like 24 hours in my story too, if you miss it and you want to just come work out. Um. I do tend to wear very little clothing. So just be forewarned. It's it's short shorts and leggings and sweat and hairy maniac. So <laughs> deal with it. Their bodies. It's fine. Um, yeah. And then otherwise, just keep taking care of yourself. You know, you're doing what you're supposed to. You're washing your hands. You're keeping your distance. 
it's going to be all right. If you get symptoms, uh, you do start getting some coronavirus, you know, it's starting to be more widespread. If you are under, you know, that 65 year age or your, and your fevers stay under 102 degrees, I believe is what the CDC said, ride it out at home if you can, you know, try not to overwhelm the system, the healthcare system, everybody's doing their best and uh, it's going to be all right. I think it's going to be all right. And hopefully some positive shit comes out of it. You know, we see that whatever we've done to get us to this point, man, maybe we need to adjust it. Maybe we could do a little better. So take care of each other, take care of yourself. And uh, we're going to, we're going to be all right. Y'all, I think we're going to be okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Um, That's it. I'm going to let this thing segue now into the live stream with me and Nick chatting like we do. See you guys next Sunday, mixer.com slash my good, bad brain. Join us. And Hey, Last but not least, if you're digging the pod, check out patreon.com slash my good bad brain. Oh, fuck. That's what I was going to say. Patreon.com slash my good bad brain. I put a link there and you can find it. It'll take you to a Google uh, doc, a Google folder that I put together where every week Nick is sharing literature. So PDFs of studies and stuff that um, will further support just resources of things we talked about on Sunday. So if you ever find yourself interested and want to know more about what's you know going on, what, what he was talking about, he's going to provide us with those things every week and I'll put them in that Google doc. But uh, that's available at Patreon. It's not behind a paywall or anything. I just use the Patreon to list things. And then if you feel like throwing cash at the pod, it's so fucking appreciated. Uh, all right, that's it. Now we're segueing. Here we go into the uh, the live stream we did. Bye bye. See you next Sunday. Hi. Good morning. <clears throat> hey, Doctor Nick. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. I mean, you know, as good as we can be, I guess. You know, doing this in in our quarantine in our quarantine situation. Yeah, exactly. Um. It's pretty wild. How what's happening with you? You're in ba- you're in Arizona. No, you're in Las Vegas. You're in Nevada, so it's probably a little different there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think there's just less density here. There's just not that many people here, you know. So <clears throat> there's, there's that part of it. But yeah, I mean, school. Uh, UNLV has gone on um, on uh, all online learning. You know, pe- people are fighting over toilet paper. We went to Costco a couple weeks ago. It was okay. And now I'm seeing like crazy, you know, lines in the parking lot and people being weird. Yeah. I, you know, I think, um, Allie, uh, on her, she's interviewed this disasterologist for her podcast. And I've, I spoke with her. Um, uh, I met her like back, whatever. She did a great episode and she was on the virology episode this last week. One thing I think that's really important to remember is like, those of us who read a lot of sci-fi and are like, you know, freaky about like we tend to think that it's going to turn into Mad Max or whatever. But something she really stresses is that actually every time disasters actually happen, um, you see like this explosion of pro-social behavior that like it's actually very, um, I don't know, people like get nicer to each other and they get helpful and they like, you know, help each other these they call them they're like grassroots organizations or they call them like um collective disaster collectivism is one of the phrases that comes oh, up like there's nice. like like when it, when katrina happened and things like that there was just this like explosion of of people who who just start helping each other out and coming together and it's actually like way that's way more common than like everything that would make us led to believe that it gets really scary and I don't know. Yeah, and it's true. You see, it's like it's like Black Friday footage. It's like you see people like punching each other over, you know, 
toilet paper and yeah. you're supposed well, to think that's what it's the kind of be. classic like sensationalism and confirmation bias like you know people don't take pictures of like a nice interaction between two people but yeah you know the toilet paper for sale out of the back of my tahoe like that's gonna yeah i don't really get the toilet paper thing either i don't really understand why it's like why did toilet paper become the thing that is like you know there'll be many articles written about it in the near future i predict i think my brother is <sighs> my brother dude my brother's always a scheming but uh, he one of his like funny little traits is he buys URLs like constantly. He's like always picking up, you know, new URLs. I'm trying to find the one because his his newest one. <laughs> um. Oh, my God. Whatever. I'm just I think I remember correctly. It's uh. I think it's just like happy dot com or something like that. He like. <laughs> He's like gonna start like a bidet drop shipping site because <laughs> he's like it's gonna explode. I, I so I, now I own it. Happy butthole. I think it's happybutthole.com or something like that. Yeah, uh, it's very funny. That's that's like the closest my family's coming to war profiteering. I guess is he's gonna try <laughs> to start a, a funnily named bidet online shop. Well, there there's no URL shortage, so I think it's okay. I know there are a lot of people, uh, like real real garbage people who who try to do that. I guess who are like already in trouble yeah. for price gouging on Amazon, bought like all the sanitizer and stuff. And yeah, here's the funny part too, though. Amazon still makes like between fifteen and twenty percent of those sales before they yeah, clutch yeah. their yeah. Like, oh, we're, oh, we're cracking down on this terrible stuff that people are. I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty weird. I, I don't know. That doesn't. It's still in the early phase. Like everyone here in my circles is like taking it pretty seriously. I think the idea of, um, which I think was one of the things we, you wanted to talk about today was you're going to talk about like just social distancing and the idea of it and the effects of it and stuff like that. But, you know, this last week we were supposed to have this uh, birthday party for a friend. And since we're big old dorks, I, I we all game together, me and my buddies. We play video games. So I... I planned this whole game crawl we were gonna go to like a vr place and then we were gonna go to this oh, land this yeah this oh, land yeah. arena and just like go to a few places and end up back home playing magic but it quickly became apparent that like it's probably not a good idea to go anywhere you know public gathering there's only like five or six of us but they were like okay and then we changed it to like maybe we'll just have it i'll just have it at my house so we can all come hang out and anybody who wants to crash can crash and then we're like is it a good idea to have like five or six people together for like 14 hours you know i don't know and it just ended up becoming like a discord we'll hang out on discord and play some games together it like very much turned into like oh we're really doing this like isolating thing i think that's good overall because the whole idea of like thinking of the whole group you know that like that collectivist type of yeah. thinking is like none of us are going to be killed by this thing you know but you know somebody could <coughs> oh, get it yeah. And then I think also, isn't it the whole point is to like reduce the strain on the healthcare system? Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly this. I don't know. So it's weird. I started yesterday. Um, I'm calling it uh, quarantine calisthenics. I streamed a little instructional workout that doesn't require any equipment and stuff like that. I'm gonna do it again today at noon on my Instagram. But like, I don't know. That's right. kind of that's kind of like I guess the closest. Um, that's like my version of whatever everyone in Italy singing on the balconies together. I'm gonna try to yeah yeah i like that idea i mean you gotta stay in shape right that's uh yeah it's I, also you go so stir crazy can't really go to the gym, though. what so you can't really go to the gym though you can't go to the gym that's what i'm saying you can't go to the gym i'm like yeah. we we almost joined a gym 
like a week before this and i'm glad we did it now because we would we would be like locked into this membership and like with no way to go to the gym all my jiu-jitsu yeah. gym's closed everything's closed i think it's gonna start oh th- terry did it thank you when did Dylan close? about a, about uh late last week uh, okay. I think they yeah, just well, followed it's, suit. It's pretty crazy about the germs, so it makes sense. Yeah, but what's funny about that is Nathan's a very he's a he's like scientific mind. So Nathan yeah, is my totally. martial arts instructor and coach who owns this uh, this jujitsu gym. And part of his thing in opening the gym because he used to work in biotech was that like all the other gyms are so filthy. But he was like he wrote this long letter. It's available on the Instagram about the closure. He like put it all in the in the comments. That was basically like you know. Uh, that we kind of have a different situation than all these gyms that are closing. Most jujitsu gyms have have open door policies, huge mat spaces. They don't they don't you know screen anybody for cleanliness or whatever. And our gym's been like really strict about our cleanliness policies. We don't have any unannounced drop ins. So he's like, it's like twenty of us in a fairly closed loop. I know everybody. If I'd shake your hand, then it's the same as if I'd roll with you. So he's like, so we don't it's not really like necessary, but, and I was like, yeah, it'd be funny though, if you were constantly railing against the germs to everybody else. And then when the, when, when a jujitsu community actually responds to a germ, you're like, yeah, but not, uh, that doesn't make sense. You know, that'd be very ironic, but I I think it's good. That's what I think is like for most of us, I think it's good for us just like a sort of a community solidarity thing to like make this a best practice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will say so. My sister is a physician in uh, North Carolina, um, but I mean, she's she's like a OBG oncologist, but um, they are worried. I mean, they've only, they only have one confirmed case. She works in a big community hospital, serves the low income community, you know, high risk people with a lot of complications, obesity, diabetes, you know, com- yeah. comorbidities, the people who would have problems, you know. And like I said, they only have one confirmed case, but, you know, they don't have uh, access to a ton of testing. But, um, you know, she said the people in the hospital are concerned. They're they're worried about not having the capacity to treat all these people if they get a sudden influx of people with comorbidities. So I think, as you mentioned, it's really about healthy people trying to not uh, trying to contribute to not burdening the healthcare system with a bunch of other stuff, just in case there is a surge in, yeah. uh, you know, which really gets into the, uh, idea of self-care pretty, pretty granularly, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I think they're actually saying if you get it to do your best to not come to the doctor, if you can avoid it, that your your mild, you know, if you're over a certain age or if your fevers get over 102, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, having over-the-counter fever reducer, you know, uh, acetaminophen is, is Wait, so what they're saying. You, you said you're teaching. Hydrate. I mean, I feel like that'll be our topic for the, the, the next section today. It's like you said that you're teaching uh, remotely now. The social distancing thing is happening for your school. Yeah. What's yeah. that like? Is yeah. it different? Does it feel different? Well, I mean, I've, I've taught online before. Um, I prefer to teach in person. I just feel like I like that energy better. Yeah. But um you know there can also be obstacles like we our student population is very diverse we have a lot of first generation students you know not everybody has fast internet for video streaming at home right so you know we're just gonna be very flexible about it the the universities kind of let us set our own policies so i'm gonna have like a group chat during the time but if people aren't able to do that i'll have like distance learning options they can do to um you know meet all their get the credit and yeah 
material. It is really interesting. I mean, Good Bad Brain has always, I mean, I can't help it. Like, it's my Good Bad Brain, and I'm very politically aware. But politics is policy, and and policy is, like, the real things that affect your life. I think people try to silo off mental health and politics as if, like, politics is, like, all the things happening, and mental health is us trying to deal with all the things, is, is making sure. But, like disconnecting sometimes and it makes sense it's like almost for just triage for survival you have to disconnect those things and just focus on like look whatever's going to happen i gotta think about mental health and focus there sometimes just thinking about politics fucks with my mental health you know but but politics uh, really which is also the structure of our society is like by another name so essentially affects our mental well-being and like our sense of self and our sense of safety and what's going on these things that you know and And I guess like it's been interesting to see how this event, like the the telecommunicating, the te- telecommuting uh, in particular, right, is a good example of like I've seen a lot of people saying like you know from the disabled community and stuff saying like you know, uh, hey, this is a really uh, good example of like all the things that generally ableist cultures told us are impossible, working from home, you know, blah blah, blah all these things are like suddenly very obviously possible like suddenly it's like we can you know like yeah. everyone's a socialist and a fox yeah, I mean, kind it of just shows you that these kind of myths these these false narratives of what we can and shouldn't do change very quickly when you apply pressure in the right places you know so now suddenly oh actually we can decide that all these tests are going to be free you right know? uh but there won't be copays and that happened in like 48 hours yes you know or yes. now we're talking seriously about providing a some form of universal basic income to people who whose jobs depend on service industry face-to-face contacts like suddenly that's plausible instead of insane you know yes i think yeah you just see how so much of these are narratives that gain power and maintain power just because they aren't questioned actively you know yes well i think it's it's also like just everything is such a construct that we've like agreed on and or or agreed on that we that we exist in you know uh all, all of these like we were talking about this before we started the stock market crashes like crazy let's just say that happens you know they try to infuse it with 150 billion dollars or whatever like that which creates like a spike and then back to nothing and you're like 150 billion dollars could do so much and they're like no but it's loans but that's the point it's all like this imaginary stuff and all of the like houses still exist and medicine still exists and and you know equipment to build new houses still exist like all these resources still exist outside of this imaginary system and it's like weird to see that pressure of some outside force i don't know i'm curious to see if like there's a positive outcome to this whole thing of people like coming together a little bit and some of these policies like really essentially changing to care for the whole yeah i mean here's the thing you know so we were talking about this consensual reality that we all live in, you know, during times of normalcy and how that consensual reality is kind of changing now, creating uncertainty. So one thing the brain really doesn't like is uncertainty, right? right. It works very hard to resolve uncertainty in the terms that it's comfortable and familiar with. Again, that's more cognitively efficient. Um, uncertainty creates anxiety in your whole physiological system. So, and this is kind of um, adjacent to the concept of homeostasis, which is like, you know, stability, essentially, is, is how you can think about it. So we're now, you know, both in a kind of larger 
political and economic systemic sense unstable. And that's, you know, associated with internal cognitive instability, the things that were our patterned uh, ways of behaving that we didn't have to think too hard about. Now, suddenly we do have to think hard about. Uh, and so, you know, um, that creates, yeah, as I said, a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Frankly, I'm not optimistic that if there's a relatively, you know, quick and I mean within months resolution to these things that will see a big shift in normalcy. I just think that's not how big systems operate. Oh, so we got to knock at the door there. Uh, Weird. I'm going to ignore it for now. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you know, my guess is that quick resolution will be uh, mean that we kind of go back to business as usual, which isn't great. Well, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what happens with um, the election and stuff as well. Just because all this primary stuff, like, I don't know, it, it could, it's throwing everything into this very strange, unpredictable territory, which it always is. I mean, Donald Trump won the fucking election last time and no one in the Republican Party. It was all a joke. Like, so the idea that something like very outside the norm could happen, pushed by, you know, Naomi Klein had a great thing about um, that what looks safe and risky changes a lot when different outside factors happen and that like yeah. uh, business as usual starts to look really risky in a environment where w that's gotten us to this place of uh, this little pandemic going on and that like suddenly things like universal health care and um, uh, sort of hey, like you said, I mean, wage, hey, yeah, it, it, it all, it all becomes very apparent. I mean, we're talking, um, there's uh, some some homeless families. I think they're mostly uh, mothers with their kids who are homeless have taken over some abandoned homes in L.A. that apparently are owned by Caltrans. And they just said, we're just going to live here. That's what's happening now. These empty houses that Caltrans is like just uh, transport. It's like the highway, I think, uh, the highway, like maintenance people and stuff. And then rail, probably rail was all public transit. But they're like, we're living here. We, we need homes. We're going to take over homes in this abandoned. And it's like, yes, take use the homes. Yeah. Let's, you're right. telling people to isolate in their homes. What about people who don't have homes? What about the vulnerable people? That affects I mean, everybody. The San Francisco's put out a, by tweet, a suggestion that homeless people try to sleep one to a tent. Like, Incredible. fuck you. Fucking <laughs> San Francisco, dude. But yeah, I, this is, this should be like, it, you know, very clear that if it affects one of us, it affects all of us. That's how this Anyway, um, yeah. on that note, I think I'd like to ask you. I'm gonna I want to personally ask a question with some experience I've been having, which is related to something I got on um, Instagram as well. We got another question. Yeah. I'm gonna ask. Uh, someone asked a nice long question about codependency, which we'll talk about. But yeah. um, I want to bring this one up. Someone said the other day to me, um, you know, uh, this is when I was doing my little workout thing online. They said, uh, "What gives you the motivation to work out when you really don't feel like getting out of bed?" and um, I want to I want to ask about that and then I'll segue into my other question um, because basically that question about if you are deep it's a two sided question I want to ask for myself one is this your advice and maybe some mine for like if you find yourself deep in a state whether it's an anxiety attack or under depress like under the thumb of depression or ruminations from either of those things or ADHD or whatever when you can recognize that you are under it and it's got you like triage things or or um uh some kind of like lifeboat techniques to get yourself out of it and my second yeah. question is going to be like if it's not you if it's someone close to you if there's ways that help but uh let's do that one first if i'm 
really in it. Like, do you like whatever my attack might be? Do you have any ideas or strategy other than anything established to help me get out? Yeah. So there are a couple uh, ways I, I could talk about this. Let me um, first say this though. Uh, while of course it's like ideal to stop feeling this, these negative emotions that get in the way of us doing things like that, that's ideal. I actually want to push back on it a little bit and try to get you to think about even if you continue to feel this way, what could you do at this moment that is consistent with your larger goals and values? So if you imagine this, like imagine kind of a palm tree, right? On the beach, mm -hmm. somehow it's living there. And the tide comes in and out. And sometimes the tide's really high and sometimes it's really low. Well, the tide is kind of like your emotions. They're always moving. You know, it's a moving target. They're in and out. Mm -hmm. And so if you try to peg what you're going to do to your emotions, it's very hard to feel stable because that's the nature of emotions. They constantly move in and out. But your kind of values and goals are sort of like the palm tree. They're there, present, whether you're happy, sad, in under crushing depression, having a panic attack, feeling no neutral or feeling great. You know, that those goals and values might be easier to see at different times, easier mm -hmm. to access, but they're pretty stable, even though emotions come in and out. So I think one one question is like, okay, well, I feel like I'm under, you know, a thousand pound boulder right now, and and I just feel like I can't get out of bed or I or I don't want to. Given that that's how I feel, what is like one thing I can do? that's consistent with my goals and values. And maybe it literally means like rolling out of your bed onto the floor and like stretching for a second, trying to touch your toes. Yeah. That's so maybe interesting. Mean, that's, that's uh. so two things about that. One is like, it seems good to then take some time when you are in an okay mindset to like establish what your overall goals are like what your yeah, principles sure. of, a, yeah. of what kind of a person you are what kind of person you believe you are and want to be what kind of things you want to do is it better to have like ob like things you want to do you know what i mean like something more objective or external or you know what i mean then then like a quality of like i want to be stronger or you know what i mean i think it's good to uh and the evidence indicates as well that it's good to um behaviorally define these things okay wow. uh, and yeah. and define them in a way that's quantifiable because if it's like i want to feel better right you know well i woke up today and i feel like shit does that mean i'm not making progress on my goals right. but if it's like i want to do some physical activity that requires sweat or maybe even i want to do some physical activity i don't even need to sweat it just needs to take 10 minutes yeah that's great you know, then i can still feel like garbage but i I did that. You did that. You overcame. Goal. Yeah. Well, I, I will say definitely establishing being maybe a little, when I was like 12, I, I always remember this. Like I, <laughs> I just, I was just, I'm still am just terrified all the time. Just like fear is just such a part of your life on some existential level. And, uh, I remember deciding that I wanted to be a brave person. And that meant that if something scared me, I did it. That like, that was just it. If I could frame something as I'm afraid of it, oh, I'll do it. Which of course is a 12, like that led me as a young man to do very stupid things from time to time. <laughs> you know, it was very like Marty McFly. Like if you call me a chicken, I'll just do whatever you say, like whatever you want. But, um, but it was, 
helpful just to decide like this is the kind of I don't think I'm naturally this person. I want to be this person and I define some behaviors that that person would have and then yeah. I would try to do that. I, that's interesting because I also said um, to this uh, person, my personal advice is like, I don't know, when I, is to be gentle with yourself and to realize like some days just getting through the day is a fucking win. Yeah. And and uh, we talked about this a little bit last week that like if if I can't get out of bed, maybe I could put a foot on the floor, you know, like just tr- right. tiny little goals and then I'll say this last thing, and then I'd love for you to actually is um, I read this concept once about uh, no zero days, and someone I don't know maybe on Reddit someone said it. They had come up with it as a personal thing. They're like, I just decided they were like no more zero days, which meant if I got to the end of the day and it was like about to be midnight, I'd do one push up, and it was like I did something today to improve myself, like just tiny little things you can do just to say like no matter what every day is a little bit of an inch towards making myself better even if it's just a tiny little act you know yeah I, I think that's a good idea I mean you know the kind of so so you know one answer is like don't fall into the trap that you have to feel better to do things and yeah don't that's fall into so the, that's so that. good to remember because also I yeah, think somebody helping is like, don't shame. Don't be like, just stop feeling this way, which is a problem that I have. I'm like, why are you doing What's happening? I try to like yeah. logically get us to go like, why well, are we? Another feeling way to, yeah. Another way to think about it is that emotions are probably the. So if you, th- if you think about the cognitive triad, which is thoughts, feelings and behaviors, emotions are probably so feelings are probably the things we have the least direct control over yeah. of those three. And so if you try to start your cycle of change on the thing you have the least control over, that's going to be frustrating. The thing you have the most control over is your behaviors. Because, you know, if you took somebody like sometimes uh, people like I'll I'll just think of this analogy where I'm like, I just cannot do this right now because of my mood. And someone's like, well, if I switched places and jumped into your brain, I could make your body do it. Yeah, that's so good. You're like, okay, well, that's true. Right. So the thing that I have most control over is the behavior. So if I start with the behavior, typically what happens is that'll start the cycle spinning in a different direction. Then maybe my thoughts will start to change like, oh, you know what? This wasn't so bad. I was able to put one foot on the ground, you know, and then eventually dragging behind my behaviors and thoughts will follow my emotions. That, that's, that's typically yeah. the way we see it. Just get your that's that there seems to be so much to about like tricking your somatic symptoms like just forcing your body through a movement and then like yeah. somehow the the chemicals and the associations come behind it. Well, that's, that's true. I mean, you know, again, we have to remember that thoughts and feelings are not untethered imaginary constructs somewhere in the air. They are the product of physiological processes. Yeah. That's what they are. And so maybe there's something else too, you know, that sure. maybe, but that's not my domain. So there, there are phys- physiological processes. And if you start to make your body engage in other physiological processes, you will see a change in your emotions. Now it may not be a super intense change where suddenly you feel great, but, but as I'm saying, like, at least in the beginning, let yourself be free of that tether that's that some for some reason you need to feel great to do stuff totally. you don't need to it, it goes the opposite way actually and the more you do stuff probably the better you will feel and the last thing is just that this is a long game you know yeah 
This is a long game. It's not a sprint. It really is a marathon. And, um, you know. God damn. Yeah. Emotions are really, uh, they are intense and in the present moment. And so if we get stuck only seeing things in tiny slices of present moment, it's good to be in the present moment in some other ways. And, you know, we can talk about that. But if you're fixated only on your emotion in the moment, it makes it difficult to look at the kind of trajectory of your experience and behavior. Yeah. And I bet, so that kind of segues into this, like if somebody I am close to is, is deep in a, and I can recognize that they're in a state that they're not, you know, it's like the least helpful thing to be like, just stop feeling this isn't real. Like it's not real. It's like, it's like what, what seems helpful is to like remind them like, well, what would you like to accomplish? What would you like to do? I mean, well, that's my question. I don't know. This is just what it seems like. But instead of going to what it seems like, what should I do? Like if someone, what's helpful? Cause it does feel like what, here's the worst case. This is how I fuck up is I'm just like, I try to run someone through like, what they're experiencing is just in their head, kind of. You know, it's like it's part of it. I kind of do what I try to do for myself, which kind of works for me sometimes, dissociating, yeah. but not for everybody else. And then I feel like it just becomes about like becoming focused on what made me go like, aha, when you were just talking. It was like, it feels like I get, I fuck up by helping somebody get focused on how they shouldn't be feeling how they're feeling. And then they just try to change how they're feeling and like focus on the, And then it becomes like a failure to do that. And it just like turns into this loop of like, oh, I guess I just can't stop. I've can't, I'm fucked up. You know what I mean? And that seems yeah. wrong. That seems to be like how you, I don't know. What should I do? It's like how you feel is out of your control a little bit, but what you do isn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, like nobody in the context of a friendship relationship or a romantic relationship, nobody in the context of like a healthy relationship got somebody to change their feelings or behavior against their will. So the person, you know, I, I think one of the things is like, what do you, to ask, like, what do you want right now? Do you want just empathy and validation? Do you want me to just listen? Or do you want like problem solving? Yeah. And I think a good thing to agree on is, especially if this is like a close friend or partner, and this is like something that people have been working on for a while, I think you should have this conversation when you're both feeling okay is like, Hey, when, when one of us is in this state, what do you think is a good way to proceed? Can we start by asking what the other person wants? And if you're going to do that, like this is a DBT assumption, which, you know, I, I realize that's not all <laughs> normal like relationships, but I do think this can be helpful is if you are going to say that you want problem solving your advice, you have to be willing to make an attempt. Got it. Yeah. And if I you're think, not, I think the problem is, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, if you're not willing to make the attempt, which is fine. Sometimes you don't want to make the fucking attempt. You just want to complain and have somebody listen to you. That's fine. Yeah. But you, you have to say that. Because it feels like it's like love languages. I always project what I want, which is some kind of existential philosophical exploration of like dis dis <laughs> dissociation where I'm like, this is a thing going on in my head. It's not real. I don't have to blah, blah. But I try to do that for other people who that does, that's not their primary thing. And they're just like, no, I am feeling this. This is completely taking over my, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why are you trying to, you know what I mean? It just turns and then they, or they feel bad that like they can't do, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's just like so useless. So that's really good. Talk to them about what helps them in a, in a, in a state when they're not there, be like, what helps yeah. you? If you don't know somebody, is there like a good baseline 
like broadly speaking way to respond to somebody who's like, you know, like, let's say you were like, let's say I was like on the train or something like that. And someone's clearly like, like not like violent, just like clearly like just so in a bad spot. Like, you know, you can tell when somebody's having like anxiety attack or something like that. And if you make some, is there something to do like about like, Hey, you're, you're okay or anything, or do you just have to leave people alone? Well, I think it's really tricky. I would not advocate like just trying to do, uh, like non-consensual intervention with strangers. I, yeah, I don't yeah. recommend doing that. Of course, yeah. But yeah. you know, if someone's having a panic attack or, or they're hyperventilating, I mean, as we've kind of talked about, you know, grounding and deep breathing is the antidote for panic. That's why they have people like people blow into paper bags. It's not because there's something magic about a paper bag. It's because it forces you to regulate your breathing because you're seeing the bag expand and oh. contract. That that's why, like okay. expanding contract this back, because panic breathing is like this. Oh uh, yeah. So people yeah. are. It's not that you're not getting enough oxygen. You're not ex- expelling enough carbon dioxide. So expanding and and um, uh, what's the fucking other word? Going like this with the paper bag. Contracting. Yeah, Going like this. Bag. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, with okay, the paper bag. On the same note, I, I don't want to get too into this because it's sort of like personal from this week, and I don't want to divulge other people's stuff too much. But I had this like experience this week um a friend who i only know through online but i've talked to you know we play video games together me and is in my community um he had he he's you know been going through some tough stuff stuff that feels close to things i've gone through whatever and um one day like left some really disturbing sort of suicidal ideation messages online and we all freaked out and like like the the rest of us in the group and we were like you know figured out how to get his mom's cell phone up. We just did, did a bunch of stuff to get in touch. Be like, please, someone just check on him. And then he yeah. was okay. Um, Meaning, I mean, you know, he was like alive and he hadn't done anything, but it fucking freaked us out. It was really scary and bad. I couldn't believe like the yeah, amount of or- panic I'm feeling uh, uh, and, and concern and like the love that I feel for this person, you know, like that. I was just yeah. like, Oh man. And we are just like, we love you. Tell him we love it. Like we just, you know, and, um, and he, I don't know, kind of like went back to business as usual so quickly that he was like, I shouldn't have yeah. told you guys about this or mention anything. I won't do it when I, I won't, I won't let anybody know when I do it for real and just try to like go back to being normal. And, and I don't know how to behave because I'm like, I care and I'm fucking worried. But there's this other part of me, too. I, I've noticed this thing in myself happens. It's happened with my brothers in the past. It's happened with my dad. Where, like, if somebody I love or feel, like, love for is, like, very evidently in a, I don't know, a part of me almost, like, half numbs. Like, I have two, I have this, like, weird reaction where I've had it with my little brother. I'm so terrified about my siblings getting hurt. And there's been times my brother was so in such a bad place with like a, a you know breakup y stuff and just so strange. I'd never seen him so like loose. So like unhinged. I was like, I don't know if he's gonna do something to hurt himself. And that thought was just like, okay, well, you can't control it. And almost like shut down and numbed in this weird way of like, I don't know yeah. what they're gonna do. I'm so worried. But it was just like he might do something really fucking bad. Nothing I can do about it. It was it was weird, you know, like this and I felt like yeah. I feel like cold to dissociate, but, and I, I just don't know how to proceed, I guess, when somebody does stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, that's within, I will just say that that 
that's to totally within the normal scope of behavior, what you're describing, is to feel so overwhelmed that you kind of cognitively shut down in the sense that you stop feeling as intensely and thinking about things that you need to do. That's a totally normal response. It makes perfect sense. And I think probably everyone listening can relate to that. Uh, the thing is, you know, what I would say, um, number one, it's a good idea to have the addresses and phone and contact information of your friends who are going through a hard time because the police can, will do a wellness check. I and, know, but that was a thing too. We were like, should we call the police and figure that out? And first, well, most of us didn't know his address, but then we were also like, no offense, but like police kill people. I mean, like, we were like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yes. And so you got to think about that for sure. Um, you know, I don't think that's a first line thing to do, Yeah, right. Uh, but it's kind of like a last line thing to do. And so I don't think you should treat your friends as patients. I'll just say like when I've worked with patients who are, uh, have suicidal ideation and are at risk for suicide, we will come to an agreement that, you know, the agreement is that you will contact me if you feel this way. And we'll talk about some emotion regulation techniques you can try if none of those work and you can't guarantee me that you will feel that you'll keep yourself safe until at least our next appointment then you agree to go to the emergency room if you refuse to do that or you don't answer calls after you've disclosed this to me and we're working on it then my next step will be to order a safety check do you agree to that Got you know it. that's how but you know like i said friends aren't patients yeah, apparently, yeah you know here's the thing i think it's very complicated and difficult you you gotta yeah you know wrap people in love and soothing, let them know that you're worried about them, help them get resources, which means it might mean getting on the phone with them to make an appointment. Yeah. You know, might mean getting mom or someone in the family on the phone with them to make an appointment. But here's the other thing. If this is, you know, it, it, it can also be an indicator that people are, are in a skills deficit where they don't have the skills to appropriately ask for help from people and they don't have the skills to regulate their emotions in a healthy way. And so one thing that they not do on purpose in a manipulative sense, I don't mean that, yeah. but one thing that like has been reinforced through social learning is that if they disclose suicidality, the network comes around them and, and helps them. Yeah. And so that's just a, it's just conditioning it's reinforcement that if i feel super overwhelmed and i just don't have the skills to regulate how i'm feeling but i feel but i disclose ideation the network comes around and kind of soothes me and then i feel better for a while but the problem is that that pattern burns people out over time right and you never learn those regulatory skills so you got to kind of look at these behaviors in a um you know is this something that's happening a lot is this a tool essentially yeah. for emotion regulation because that suggests kind of a different um, way of treating and managing, you know? So it, I it's do. Yeah, that's that's my concern is I was like, I I also know it's not going to be a long-term solution to just always be on call because I, I don't know yeah. what the fuck I'm, I'm not a dot, you know, you're, so you're like just trying to figure out like, how do I help? What do I help with? And then you're like, I don't want to like make a point of like, oh, it fucking feels bad. You're hurting me when you do that. You're hurting all these people when you do this because then it feels like they twist that into like, oh, I guess I'm just such a piece of shit. I should, just, you know, you're just like, I don't know. It just, you just feel so helpless and you're just so like, ah, I love you. I want you to feel love and I don't know how to give it to you and I don't know how to get you to do what you're saying to, to help you down a path where you can like reg regulate, you know? 
I mean, here, here's the thing, you know, people do not harm themselves because of, of other people saying things to them that aren't quite right. And I'm not talking about yeah. systemic bullying. I'm not talking about systemic bullying or trauma in the home or abuse. You know, those right. things right. destabilize people so much that it seems like, you know, that's their only way out. It isn't, but that's a different story. But, you know, because you approach someone the wrong way or say the wrong thing, that's not going to trigger them to kill themselves. Another thing we know about suicide is it's typically not impulsive. For some people it is, but for most people it's not. Yeah. It's a scaffolded behavior that they've practiced and rehearsed over time, mentally and physically. Damn. So you're not going to say something and cause somebody to kill themselves. In fact, talking honestly and clearly and directly about it seems to be the um, best thing to do. So it's not, I don't think, inappropriate to say to your friend, look, this really scared us. It really freaked us out. You owe it to yourself and to your friends who care about you and who would be destroyed if you did this to get help. And I'm here to help you. Yeah. Let's set aside an hour this week and call some numbers. Now, can you do that all the time? No. Or, and maybe that's like a little too much for you to do. Um, you kind of have to figure out, you know, yeah. what – is appropriate for your skills and, and uh, you know, values and comfort. Yeah. Um, and that I might know, mean I just like, know like, ugh, I don't know when I felt suicidal, I'm like, I'm just fucking glad I survived it. Cause like you, when you're in it, you're just like, this is never going to get better. And yeah. uh, that whole dumb yeah, thing right. about like a temporary solution to a, or, a, or a permanent solution to a temporary problem is so right. fucking real. It's like, yeah. you're just making That's a right. choice. For eternity that well, it's a very very poor problem solving strategy because you know all the problems still exist it's just that you aren't there right so um, if it's problems you know there are there are better ways to go about that yeah um well yeah someone asked this question in the chat what do you think about mental first aid classes have you ever heard of that mental first aid yeah i think it's what is i don't it? think that I've heard we of should it. be yeah I think it's good to teach people some basic skills like but what is risk what is I've never is this a thing mental first aid I've never heard of this no no it it's it's like um there is no like uniform body or like certifying body for any of this stuff it's basically like different uh ways of doing psychoeducation and teaching some basic skills and like providing basic resources um and I don't think that's a bad idea. The thing is, you don't want to make people think they're professionals when they're not. You don't want to put that responsibility and burden on people who haven't gone through training and aren't supervised. But, you know, I think it's analogous to regular to physical first aid. Like you're not a doctor when you've taken a first aid class. Right. But you can do some things to help, you know. Yeah. And I think it's similar, like learning how to validate, learning how to talk about emotions, maybe learning how to do a risk assessment and having some resources and phone numbers in your back pocket. I don't think that's a bad idea. Okay. Yeah. That, okay. Great. Um, all right. So this, I'm going to get this, this last little question. We got an email question. Um, hello. I was wondering if you and Dr. Nick can discuss the differences between the term codependency in the mental health world versus the way the term gets commonly uh, used in casual conversation. I recently had a therapist suggest I look into CODA, which is Codependence Anonymous. So I did some research to see if my preconceived notions of the word lined up with the way uh, mental behavioral health professionals use the term slash diagnosis. Any uh, yeah. clarification would be greatly appreciated. I think this is yes, because I throw this term around a lot. I think a lot of people, it means different things when you say it. 
I will also say that there's a major difference between codependency and dependency. And there's some in some of the attachment theory books and stuff I've read, they talk about that. Um, but anyway, first of all, I think one point you were going to make is like, it's not an actual diagnosis, right? It's not. There, there's no, there's no codependent disorder in the DSM. So right. there's no DSM diagnosis with the term codependency. Um, now, if people there, there, I just pulled this up right before. Can you still see me when I yeah. mouse off like that? Yeah. Okay. So I pulled this up before there, there is a, there's a bunch of research literature here. I think, you know, there's a decent one from, this is from 1999, but it's called codependency and empirical study from a systemic perspective. And what's I think interesting about this, we can, I can link to it. Um, is oh, I will say really side note, somebody asked about links. I will, I'll say this again at the end, but we will get a collection of links. I'll put them on the Patreon uh, and they'll be available publicly there. You don't have to, they won't be behind a paywall, but it's just a place I can post at the patreon.com slash my good bad brain. Anyway. Yeah. So whenever you have something like this, which is a construct, you know, uh, people create measures like paper and pencil measures to, to measure that construct and to see if it's statistically reliable and valid and connected to other things that you would expect it to be. Okay. So that's what that article does. Um, but basically here, here's how I would think about it. Human beings are in one sense, of course, codependent. We're social animals. We depend on each other for resources to develop our so ideas of our social selves, to develop an identity. Like in that sense, we're, we depend on each other and that's normal and healthy. What we mean by codependent when it, when we talk about it in an unhealthy way is using another person to regulate your emotions. So if you are using another person to regulate your emotions, instead of you learning how to regulate your own emotions, then that is a type of unhealthy codependency. Mm. Okay. And, you know, uh, I'm not, I'll, I'll look into it and see if there are any like evidence-based um, psychometric tests you can use to look at this. My guess is that it's going to be pretty difficult uh, to find a good one because it's so contextually dependent, but yeah. I'll take a look. But I think you got to ask yourself, am I doing the work of regulating my own emotions or am I expecting my friend or partner or family to regulate those emotions for me? Yeah, I, I heard a thing uh, once, the, the, the most uh, succinct, I felt, description of codependency as it showed up in my life, at least, was um, keeping other people sick so that they always need you to care for them. Like this kind of like way you can get in these relationships where when it, like crab in a bucket stuff, whenever they start to get too happy, you figure out a way to be shitty to them. Or I think another common thing um, that I've noticed with it is that like, if you, that you'll, you'll, you'll sub in conflict and negative feelings um, for positive ones just to create intimacy. Like, like, like uh, you can't be nice to each other or whatever, but, but the closeness and the intensity and the attention that you are afforded the focus of a fight is almost as good. Yeah. And, um, sure. and that, that sort of a thing. I, I think uh, one thing for me that's become a, a hallmark of codependent interactions is when I realize like, we're always fighting. We're always like working something out and when I'm working it out, I really feel like we're working it out. We're really making progress. And that's like 
realized I've realized in some relationships like my goal was to get the other end of the working it out that like I always associate with myself I sit in the fire I'm good I stay I don't mind I can do hard things because on the other end of that rainbow of that hard work and communication and discomfort is going to be a better thing and then realizing some for some people whether or not they're aware of it that is the relationship like the working it out is what they want I think we're going to work it out and then get to have this relationship where like we right. build each other up we create together we we uh, have a, like a wonderful time just sharing each other's company. But for some people, it's like that's not on some level. The the relationship they want is in the conflict. And those yeah. all feel like aspects of codependency to me. Yeah. Well, and and so this article and uh, I think, you know, others also typically identify this as like a multi-generational process. So. You know, yeah. I think codependency is often like a small word that covers a lot of territory. And some of that territory includes like multi-generational communication styles, right? How yeah. was emotion regulated in your family system? How did people disclose vulnerability in your family system? How did people negotiate the boundaries of independence yes. in, your, in the family system? It feels like people... a, a, a common one with the family system thing, especially is like a kind of intertwining where... I'd say the most common would be like very Catholic, very puritanical, like, you know, somebody does well. So somebody else has to like cut them down or be shitty about it. Like something about you being happy makes me upset and good people are unhappy. You know, like there's kind of like that, that sort of in, entangling of experience feels very family unit codependent to me. Yeah. Yeah. So like in the kind of family systems literature, the, people talk about having differentiation of self, you know, which is where you're, you have your own boundaries and you have personal autonomy in the sense that you're responsible for your own emotions. Um, and at the same time, you're in a healthy system with others where you are thinking of them as autonomous individuals who have their own rights to their beliefs, desires, goals, and emotions, and are responsible for regulating those things on their end. And you try to support each other in those efforts, you yeah. know? Um, uh, okay. Well, on that, because I wanted to say this last thing about, it's very important to me. It really blew my mind in this book that codependency is different than dependency. And they talk about that dependency is like a healthy, like, people who are pair bonded and stay stable partners together for like a long time are actually much happier and healthier. They, you know, uh, and that has to do with just relying on each other. If I know I can rely on somebody, which is not the same thing. I, I think it's important to stress that in popular health and culture, pop psychology and, 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 you know, it's not saying you are responsible for all of your well-being all the time. You're an island, blah, 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 blah. It's like, and that it's right. unhealthy if you are pulled up by someone else or like rely on someone else to help you. That's like, that's actually, I, my understanding is that is quite healthy, is if you have a yeah, safe enough relationship yeah. to rely on somebody. Codependency yeah. is, it, this is why it's hard to like explain, like it's it's different, you know, it's like a, it's like a, a toxic version of what we want. Well, that that's why I think it, the idea of requiring someone else to regulate your emotions for you is, I like that definition. Um, because in it, when you have a, a pair bond or you're in a family system, yeah, people are going to depend on each other for other things, you know, like if I'm feeling bad, 
I might want comfort from you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that in the context of this relationship, the dynamic is that I require you to regulate my emotion. It's just like, mm -hmm. I'm feeling bad and I want some comfort from you. But you know, if I'm at work feeling bad, I can deal with that myself. I'm not going to come home and blame you for not being there for me. You right, know? right. I'll appreciate the help. I will accept the help if you are there and it, it's available to help me, but it's not your fault that I'm right. not. And, I'll, and, I, and you might also understand that like, oh, this person is their own unique autonomous individual going through their own process. And so they might be, you know, going through whatever thing right now right. and it's not because of me. Yes. That's, a, that's the hardest part for me. That's probably my codependency shows up a lot too, is in like, almost like an irritation, like, why won't you let me help you? <laughs> you know, like you're upset. And then I'm like, oh, it's my, f I feel bad because I can't fix you. And so I must be bad. Why are you, you know what I mean? Wow, that's fucked up. Yeah, that's so that's so it's like a healthy separation of personalities of saying like, we love and yeah. care about each other. But I'm not you. You're not me. We're just here to help each other. Right. And I get, again, like I think when it comes to the idea of disorder and the DSM sense of the word, DSM, every DSM disorder, all of them have as a core requirement, functional impairment. So if you have all of the symptoms and no functional impairment in your relationships, professional life, et cetera, you can't meet criteria for the disorder. Now that never happens. If you had all of those symptoms, right. you're going to have Impairment, you know, but impairment remains this core um, criteria. So, you know, I wouldn't worry too much. Like if you're like, oh, my God, am I codependent with my partner? I mean, are you guys doing well? Are you like, is yeah. work going well? Are you do you have friends? Do you feel like socially fulfilled? If so, I wouldn't worry about it that, that much. Yeah, that's a know? good point. Yeah. OK, well, um, we got a few minutes left. Um, let's segue into our. Um, don't kill yourself list thing. And I'm going to go first because I'm going to use this as an opportunity because they said they suggested they look into CODA, the Codependence Anonymous thing. And I'll just say, yeah, anonymous programs are a big uh, don't kill yourself list thing. Like um, I, I've done a little bit. I've done mostly what I've done in the past was Al-Anon, which is um, yeah. that's usually family members of people who are addicts. And uh, or you have a qualifier. It could be a friend. It could be a per just a person. They, a qual everyone has a qualifier. <laughs> Everyone's got one. You throw a rock in L.A., you'll find a qualifier. But um, <laughs> uh, but don't throw a rock at them. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway, those programs, I will say this about CODA and why, why I think it's probably a good idea to go. When I when I went to those rooms, usually the anonymous uh, rooms that they like a lot of they're shared by a lot of things. They'll be like sex addicts. Yeah. They'll be narcotics. They'll be like uh, alcoholics. Anonymous, they're all. And so sometimes you love, love, love addiction. You look around the wall and they have their, they all have their steps and you'll realize like, Oh, they're all the same steps. And whether it's gambling, a drug, alcohol, if it's like sex, whatever it is, love, if it's codependency, these patterns, this is just my, no one said this, but this is what I've observed that these patterns are all, the same, like the effect that it has on you is the same. And my friend Zeke in an episode we did a long time ago, who's been sober for like 17 years or something like that um, in the program, he's he said that uh, they refer to what's called the God-shaped hole. And uh, I know some people don't feel, please just use that one syllable word God to mean whatever you want it to mean uh, about meaning, about like your purpose, your sense of uh, belonging in this world, whatever it is, is that you have this hole in you where that should be. And I'm like, oh, yeah, got that. I know all about that fucking hole. And uh, into that, you throw something to try to fill it over and over again. And um, 
tends to be, I think, like compulsive sorts of behaviors and all things that could fall into any of these things that gambling gives you or you think it'll give you. Gambling will think it'll give you. Sex you think it'll give you. The love and affection of others. A codependent, intense relationship where you feel purpose and existence. Um, just drinking to numb it. Whatever it is. And that they all have this sort of same core thing. And when you... So like any of those programs end up being helpful. Like I, if you have that hole that like I think there's something really magical about just hearing your experiences that you thought like were so unique and like you must be alone in come out of somebody else's mouth when they're sharing and be like, oh, fuck. Oh, my God. This is wow. We're in this together. Wow. This is like not just me alone. This is a an established thing. It's very profound and somehow healing. Yeah, so Freud called that the oceanic feeling, like wanting to feel held again, you know, like mm. you were in the womb, you know. But I'll, let me just say, because this is a great segue, that this this study came out like March 11th. Uh, it's a Stanford study. And basically it showed that, so this it's a study of studies, like again, kind of gold tier evidence, a study of 35 studies with 10,000 participants comparing Alcoholics Anonymous to other types of uh alcohol treatment and AA was the most effective. Wow. Yeah. And part of why people speculate that that's the case is because there is this social component, this intense social component yeah. where you're with other people and um, you're getting support from that, from a network of other people. So, you know, it's consistent with other research that indicates that social connections are incredibly important for health and well-being. So I would just say, you know, even though we're having to do social distancing now, like get on that FaceTime with your friends. Like I've had, I think, three like group FaceTime calls this week with friends and family. And it makes a difference, you know. Oh, yeah. So uh, that was that was gotta, before that. I was going to say Discord and like which we're talking on now. FaceTime, Google Hangout, whatever. That's definitely on the Dog Killer stuff list this week is it's like this rocks this ability to just like Star Trek into each other's life. I mean. When that shit started happening, we were like, oh, my God, fucking look at this is now we take it so for granted. But we were like, we're in movies now. We're in the future movies. Yeah. yeah All right. Crazy. Well, that's uh, thanks, man. Thanks for hanging out for this hour again. Thanks, you guys, for being here for the stream. Um, I will say I'm going to keep I did this quarantine calisthenics thing yesterday um, that I invite you to join me. Whoever wants to. I'm going to do it on my Instagram live, the Jarrett underscore sleeper one. I'll just yesterday we lost the sound, I think, because I was playing jams and the music was like maybe too proprietary. So today it's going to be like weird, <laughs> silent working out. You can put your own yeah. music on and I'll just, you know, be sweating there and talking about how to do moves. But no equipment. It won't be necessarily super easy, but you take it at your own pace. Uh, probably won't be more than like half hour, 40 minutes. No equipment necessary. Just a little space in your room. I do it on hardwood just to make a point um, that you could just do it wherever. So we'll do that workout on my Instagram live at noon. I'm going to try to keep that going. Quarantine calisthenics. It seems nice. There's a nice little engagement. We'll get up and move in if you feel like it. Um, also, this week, I'm going to have Nick. Uh, you're going to give us a list of resources and things like that. And I will put them up at... Um, uh, I'll put them all up at uh, patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain. I'll put them in a post that will be available publicly. And if anybody wants to go there too and throw some cash at the the pod, that'd be good. This week was the first week. I, I've officially called it season three. We're beginning. Uh, I put up our last week's live stream because that was the sound was good and it felt nice. So this will be the pod now. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. Check it out on Patreon. Uh, check it out on iTunes, on Spotify. 
we'll be we'll keep this going i like i really like this rhythm or we've done it like four times now so we're starting to get this sunday's at 10. uh do you want to add anything or plug anything tell them to find you or anything like that um no like i'm on twitter so it's uh what the fuck is it dr nicholas bar one uh cool. yeah on twitter and that that's pretty much yeah where i i'll respond most of the time you know to like questions or messages there um about this type of content so um you guys can reach me there oh all right so yeah i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna um eat some oatmeal and charge my phone and then see you guys in a little less than an hour we'll sweat at uh at instagram live we'll, we'll do it. i was thinking about i might do it on here in the future just figure it out but right now we'll keep it on instagram live all right thanks you all thanks nick talk to you talk to you soon yeah bye oh what, what am i doing post show here we go we'll transition bye okay bye 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 wait 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 i'm learning to do this i forgot to use our overlay for the whole episode isn't that amazing isn't that amazing? <laughs> look this is what it should have looked like yeah that was good. there's some good questions there that's what it should have been the whole time Oh, well, what are you going to do? All right. All right. All right. All right. Um, let me play the fucking song. Let me play the song. Let me play the song. Oh, fuck. We love it. We love, uh, we love it. Okay. Bye. Bye guys. Have a good day. See you next week. Welcome to my good, bad brain. I'm a normal person. So I'm insane. I've got depression and ADHD, but I'm doing better since I medicated me. I'm still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is. But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is beautiful. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.